Welcome to Sex Ed with DB. I'm your host, DB. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. If you love and support the work that we do, head to www.sexedwithdb.com and buy some of our hot new merch. Follow us on Instagram at sexedwithdbpodcast. And if you want to advertise with us, shoot us an email at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. Today on the podcast, I am joined by Cecile Gaznault of SmileMakers, a femtech brand dedicated to the pleasure of people with vulvas. SmileMakers was created with the ambition to bring female sexuality out in the open and pleasure products to the shelves of mainstream retail. Let's give a warm welcome to Cecile. Hello, Cecile. How's it going today? Hi, Daniel. It's going great. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm really, really happy that you're here. Um, you said, uh, you know, you're in Singapore, in beautiful Singapore. It's almost a full day ahead there, which is so crazy. It's the morning. It's beautiful morning outside, so it's going to be a great day, I think. Good. And I'm, I'm very good. excited to start the day by talking with you and... Uh, I'm very excited to be part of Sex Ed with DB. I think it's a very cool project that you're working on. Oh, thank you. And we are obviously such a big fan of Smile Makers. We are really excited to get to know you a little better um, and hear all about your involvement with that. Um, So let's start off with you saying your name, uh, your pronouns, and how you identify, whatever that means to you, whether that's your job title or your gender identity or um, however you want to identify. Okay, uh, so my name is Cecile. Uh, my pronouns are her, she. I identify as, I don't know, a human. Uh, <laughs> I said I'm a woman. Uh, someday I feel more French than others. I'm also a very happy inhabitant of Singapore, so a mix of a lot of things. Excellent. Amazing. And um, what, what is your role with Smile Makers? So originally, I actually joined Smile Makers to really like develop the whole digital platform for the brand. That means like, you know, creating the website, creating the social media, uh, starting to talk with people online around the brand. And that really got me into actually talking about sex and masturbation every day with people from all over the world who were interacting with the brand so that turn into something more than just doing uh, digital stuff for the brand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, incredible. Uh, um, and how, how long have you been working with them? So I've been working with Smilemakers for over four years now. Uh, yeah, I think I was employee number three there. Uh, the brand oh, wow, was actually... That's awesome. Yeah, um, the brand is like almost eight years old already. It was creating, uh, created end of 2012. Um, and then for a while, uh, the founders were not hiding anyone. And then once they started, I was one of the first to join the company. Very cool. And if you could just give us an overview of what is SmileMakers, um, what is y'all's mission, uh, what do you really care about, and kind of what do you all do um, to kind of promote um, self-pleasure and masturbation? So SmileMaker is a femtech brand. It's dedicated to the pleasure of people with vulvas. It was created at the end of 2012 with the ambition to bring female sexuality out in the open and pleasure products to the shelves of mainstream retail. 
We are the only brand in this category that has never sold in sex shop. And we have partnered with some of people's favorite retailers to launch their sexual wellness categories. So we are very uh, mission-driven brand and uh, we are a small team. We are around 10 people, eight different nationalities, two genders, very different personalities. But I'd say one common ambition, which is to normalize how people perceive female sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. And that all really shines through on like your social media and your website and just how inviting your toys look and how bright and colorful and kind of unashamed you all are when it comes to pleasure and masturbation. I think that is so incredibly needed um, for everyone around the world, especially since depending on where you are in the world, it can be way more taboo than in other places. For example, you know, if you're originally from Europe, for example, um, it can be depending on the country, obviously, and the culture, but folks from Europe tend to be less taboo about sexuality um, than, say, Americans or kind of other people in, in other countries and cultures. Um, is that something kind of that that you've found? Um, I mean, just getting into our, our question here about um, vulva masturbation around the world and like what kinds of toys are bought are bought where um, kind of what's what are the trends that you see? Okay, um, there were a lot of elements in your question. First, on the first part, where you said that, for example, in Europe, we tend to think people are more open mm-hmm. when it comes to sexuality and maybe less so in the US and even less so in, I don't know, uh, Asian countries, for example. Um, that's not necessarily true. That's not always what we see. And that's what's been so exciting working for smile makers is that when you actually are on the ground of a market of country and talking to people you realize that we have a lot of preconceived ideas about other cultures uh i'm french and everybody has assumptions that french are very open-minded when it comes to talk about talking about sex out in the open that's actually not really the case uh that's more uh, a cliche idea that people have about french culture but we don't find this find it that easy uh to get people to talk openly but the sexuality of people with vulvas mm-hmm. in France. Um, we've got Swedish people in the team, and that's the same. Um, I think uh, we see the same thing in Sweden. Everybody assumes that Swedish are really, you know, open-minded, and you can talk about sex super openly. And we didn't find it to be the case, actually. Um, I think that in the U.S., at least for the past years, there's really been. And in a growing conversation about the topic of vulva sexuality, vulva pleasure, and vulva pride. Mm. Uh, and add as a last point that we work a lot in Asia countries as well. And we also see that uh, some countries are more open-minded than we would thought, that we would think, but it can be um, expressed differently. Uh, it can be expressed within the context of matrimony, for example. And then if you put the conversation in that context, then the conversation is very fluid and easy. And we even, we've even seen um, religious institutions in Malaysia, which is a very Muslim country, uh, support the brand and invite the brand to talk in conferences. And we've seen like imams talking about how it is important to um, make sure that your spouse feels pleasure in bed and that if you cannot... Uh, bring that to her yourself, then you should be using it to uh, reach that. 
So we've really had a lot of, I would say, um, uh, moments where we realize, oh, we thought one thing and that's actually not true. And every countries we've entered, people always see their cultures as more conservative than other countries. We always see ourselves as more conservative. Conservative. We're always going to say, oh, no, but here we do things differently. We don't like to talk about that. And actually, that's not the case. It's just it depends about how you talk about things. Um, what we've seen is that so from the very beginning, we're like within a year after launching the brand uh, Smile Makers, we were selling in Asia, Europe, in the US. And what we do is that when we expand into a new country, we always start by surveying people's behavior when it comes to vulva masturbation and sexuality. There are things that we see from one country to the, to the other that are really universal, I would say. Like mm-hmm. in pretty countries where uh, done surveys, we've seen that over 60% of vulva owners say that they do masturbate. And then depending on how you look at it, it's a lot or it's not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. It's less than for people with penises. Uh, so, but there's no anatomical reason why people with vulva should masturbate less than people with penises. So there's definitely uh, a stigma that we can see in all countries. Uh, but what's very interesting is that in all countries where we ask the question, how do you view someone who owns a vibrator? Nine out of 10 vulva owners said that they view that person positively, which Mm -hmm. means that the stigma is perceived, but it's not real. When you own a vibrator, other vulva owners are not judging you. Nine out of 10 are actually viewing you positively. Which is super important because if that's like, if you're kind of worried about social norms and how people are going to judge you that's a really important statistic to know of like oh no people actually think this is cool and like think that it's okay exactly and that's i think it's such a great statistic to show the power of um mental representation because there is no reality to this perception but we all think that we're going to be judged if we say i have a vibrator Mm -hmm. So we're really trying to bring that information out in the open so that people realize that uh, that's not real. And like something that Smile Makers has always focused on since the beginning is to bring vibrators out in the open and in mainstream retail. So, for example, we've never sold in sex shops. That was really like one of the first decisions we've made from the start. And the objective was how do we bring vibrators on the shelf of beauty stores, pharmacies, fashion retailers, uh, department stores to really show that those are normal products. They belong in the shops where you go every day uh, because it's a perfectly normal thing to do to use a vibrator. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what we do see that varies from one country to the other is vibrator usage. Uh, for example, in the US, it's much more widespread, uh, more than 50% of uh, people with vulvas in the U.S. said that they have used the vibrators, a vibrator. Uh, in Singapore, when we did the survey, it was around 20%, so less than half of, the per- of that percentage. In Malaysia, 31%. But what is very interesting is that this is not a static fact, uh, mm. meaning that this percentage moves, and it moves as you bring vibrators on the shelf of mainstream retail. I'm going to give you two examples. The first one is in Taiwan. 
so I know it's a bit far from, from the US, but Taiwan is a very interesting country. Uh, we did a survey in Taiwan in 2013 uh, before we entered the market. And then when we were asking the question, have you ever used a vibrator? We had 24% of Velva owners saying they did, they had. So one out of four women. We did the same study in 2019, so six years later, after having been in Taiwan's uh, main pharmacies for six years. Now it's up to 60%. Wow. That's, yeah, that's in a pretty short period of time to kind of like culture change the way in which people see the need for or desire for vibrators. Yeah, and we see the same thing in France. In France, it was 31% in 2014. And it was 43% in 2019. And frankly, I think there are two things here that are at play. First, obviously, the fact that um, there is an easier access to vibrators now because there is more access for mainstream retailers. Uh, So that has an impact on vibrator ownership. But it also has an impact on how comfortable people are to admit that they have a vibrator or they have used a vibrator. So that's why the statistic goes up. It's a combination of more people having vibrators and more people being comfortable saying that they have. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure, I'm also sure that like the media, like what people are watching in terms of like feminist TV shows and movies that are like including vibrators as part of main characters daily or weekly lives, I'm sure that really normalizes it for people as well. I, I, yeah, I absolutely agree. Well, I... There is a bit of a nuance is I think that 15 years ago, we already we could already see vibrators on TV show. And of course, I'm thinking about Sex and the City. That's what I was red. just thinking. Samantha just like touting around a vibrator in Sex and the City. Yeah, and that had an impact. Um, but the shift that we're seeing now is not uh, caused only by media because it's always been, like it hasn't always been, but for the past 20 years, we have seen vibrators in TV right. shows and movies, uh, and it was often phallic vibrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rabbit is like very phallic objects. Uh, what is interesting now is to see that things are also shifting in the kind of vibrators that people are using. Uh, what we see, for example, on our own shop huh, is that in the US or in the UK, um, our visitors from those countries, they tend to favor more external vibrators. Mm-hmm. So it's meant to stimulate the clitoral glands, uh, the labia of the vulva, the whole vulva, uh, all erogenous zones, um, and a bit less internal vibrators. On the contrary, in France or Singapore, they tend to pick more internal vibrators. Uh, in South Korea, our bestseller happens to be our tongue vibrator. So we see some variations per country. But what we see as well is that um, people don't choose the same vibrator depending on what information and guidance is made available to them. Uh, and by that, I mean that by default, what we've seen with our retailers or on our own website is that we tend to pick uh, penetrative products if we don't have more information mm. or more guidance. And what we did, I think it was almost four years ago, is that we developed a quiz uh, on our website and people can use it when they're not on our website to help people find the best match among our collection 
depending on what they like when they masturbate, when they are with a partner. And what we've seen with this quiz is that when people take that quiz, they actually tend to buy more external vibrators designed for clitoral stimulation than people who don't take the quiz and then tend to buy penetrative vibrators. Mm. So it really shows we have, you know, we have like, we've been wired to uh, desire penetrative products because we've been uh, taught that sex um, equals for vulva owners penetration, which is like really incorrect. First, because it dismisses uh, the sexuality of many people who don't sleep with penis uh, havers. Uh, and it also dismisses the fact that 70% of vulva owners actually need clitoral stimulation to climax. Mm-hmm. So if you're a, ple- a product for your pleasure, it makes sense that this product focuses more on external stimulation. But, you know, and that's I'm sure that's why you actually are doing this podcast, is that we don't receive comprehensive sex education. Right. Sex education, when we have any, it's about, for girls, uh, it's about how do we not get pregnant, how do we not catch STIs, and this is super important, but there's nothing about pleasure. Yes, and, yes. And really, really short importance of pleasure education, like this, this very simple fact of observing how people tend to choose a vibrator for themselves depending on the information you give them and how you uh, make them curious about what they usually like, it has such a big impact on their choice that it really shows how we behave differently if we're given the right tool to understand how our pleasure works. Yes, 1000%. And that's just so fascinating to me just about kind of what you were saying, the data that you've gathered between the different countries and just the fact that people are more likely to buy clitoral vibrators if they don't have that information and, and kind of knowledge and guidance that you were sharing. Um, but yeah, that those like patterns are super interesting uh, to me because I'm sure also there are, you know, other factors that kind of play into it, whether or not it's, uh, you know, you heard from a friend that this is a good vibrator or you're, um, you know, you watched a YouTube uh, video about it. So it's, there's just so many things I'm sure that impact uh, someone's, you know, decision to purchase uh, the kind of vibrator that they are. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, so on to the next question, which is super interesting, and I'm so glad that you kind of posed this when we were originally talking, but the three most common questions that you get from vulva owners um, in terms of, you know, whether that be having to do with your products or whether that have to, has to do with uh, sexual health or um, pleasure, um, and as well as the answers to those questions, because I know that you all have, uh, you know, relationships with sexologists who kind of are the the people who answer these very important questions? Yeah, absolutely. So what we've been very um, amazed by is that people tend to reach out not only with questions about our product, but with a lot of questions about sexuality. Um, And we ended up collecting all those questions and working with sexologists to make sure that we will bring reliable answers to those very important questions. One of the most popular questions that we get, uh, and we get it on Instagram DM, uh, on our website, at our customer care email, uh, at fair events when we were allowed to meet people in real life and that we could actually meet 
um, vulva owners and they were asking us questions, the one that comes back all the time is, I have never had an orgasm. Mm. Is that normal? So the first thing is that when people ask that question, uh, it often means that what they're really asking is, I've never had an orgasm through vaginal penetration, uh, which really shows that we tend to think that this is how you should get an orgasm. And we are not, we don't value enough the importance of um, clitoral orgasm. So when we ask that question to sexologists, they will often tell us, okay, first we need to replace the context of uh, an orgasm. Uh, so it has a physiological uh, definition, of course, which is like involuntary contractions of uh, the vagina wall through the stimulation of the clitoris. Um, but it's really to explain to people if you stimulate yourself externally, if you stimulate your clitoris and that you experience an orgasm, that's an orgasm. Right. <laughs> so that's, there is no like clitoral and vaginal orgasm. It will always come from clitoral stimulation. It just happens that through penetration, you could in some way stimulate the internal structure of the clitoris and therefore lead to an orgasm. But this is um, a bit harder to do because the clitoris, the clitoris is harder to reach, obviously, through the vaginal wall. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most popular way, for example, for vulva owners to masturbate is through external stimulation. And I would like this is a statistic from I think it was the height study. So I'm sure you know her like she was a very famous um, sex researcher in mm-hmm. the 70s. The, and Kinsey as well, when they did the studies, the success rate, if I might call it that, of um, vulva masturbation is 94%. So when a vulva owner masturbates and they, they do that mostly by external stimulation, they have an orgasm. So that's why when people ask, I've never had an orgasm, the first thing is to say, really, uh, what do you mean exactly by that? Do you mean when it is with a partner or when it is by using an internal vibrator or do you mean even when you touch yourself externally? Because it's more rare when uh, someone who touches themselves externally never had an orgasm. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, advice from sexologists is to uh, release yourself from the pressure of having orgasms in the first place and to just uh, indulge in the pleasure. Mm. You don't have like a, a very interesting tip that some sexologists have shared with us is you can you can put a clock of ten minutes during which you explore yourself and you just breathe slowly and really like uh, focus on the sensation and you don't care if you have an orgasm or not. You just give yourself ten minutes to just experience your body. No pressure. You don't have to reach any goal. It's just to enjoy the present moment with yourself. So it's learning how to connect with your body, be curious about your pleasure, and uh, free yourself from that super performative vision we have of sex, which Mm -hmm. is you need to have an orgasm. And linked to that question, the second most popular question we get is, why don't I get orgasm when when I am with my partner? Mm. Uh, Here again, it's, uh, it's often in the context of heterosexual sex, uh, so it often comes back to the question of being very focused on penetration, so moving the focus away from uh, the internal uh, stimulation and towards cl- uh, clitoral and external stimulation in general. 
uh, freeing yourself from, again, the pleasure of having an orgasm. And the thing that is always a bit of a challenge is learning to communicate your pleasure with your partner. And to do that, you need to know how to have pleasure. And that's why masturbation is so important. Because you get educated on your own pleasure and then you can share it with whoever, whomever you're having sex with. Thousand percent. But if you, yeah. If you don't know what's, how your pleasure works, then how are you supposed to explain it to someone else? Also, interestingly enough, I think that is an interesting question because, like, in my experience of talking to people about partnered sex, like, it's not like the partner just exclusively does it. Like, clearly, you are still involved, usually, um, you know, when it comes to, like, putting your hand on their hand or, you know, saying, like, oh, faster, slower, you know, it should be, you know, a team effort, I think. I, you're completely right. Uh, I think maybe I don't like to have that kind of gendered idea that, We've been told to have more of a passive role, but there is. It's important to realize how much we own our pleasure, mm. um, uh. and we do have to be active and even mentally. Like, uh, how much are we thinking about what's going on when we're having sex? To you know, keep on arousing ourselves and connecting to the moment and connecting to our body. And there's something very exciting about this idea that we are in charge of our pleasure because then we can really unlock um, an amazing world of, uh, of sensation. Uh, and one thing that sometimes comes in the way of uh, vulva's pleasure is pain, which is a question that we also get a lot, like why do I feel pain during sex? And we've surveyed uh, women all around the world, and out of eight out of 10 women said they've experienced pain during sex. Mm-hmm. It's a huge number. Um, so it's very common. So of course, the first question is, how do you make yourself comfortable doing sex? I don't know, it can be using lubricants, um, doing articles more, uh, not doing penetrative sex if that sex if that makes you feel pain, uh, but to really feel more entitled to your pleasure as well and to say, no, pain is just a no-no. So if I'm feeling pain right now, we just stop and we do something else. Uh, and that ties back to owning your pleasure and being active when uh, you have intercourse. And it's about understanding what helps your body um, being comfortable while you're having sex to make sure that you will ask for lubricants or you will say no or you will ask for something else. Mm-hmm. That brings you more pleasure. And really all these questions, they tie back to knowing and understanding how our body works and how our pleasure anatomy works. There was a, a very interesting TED talk. I don't know if you've seen it by Peggy Orenstein. I or, know her. She's a really famous author, but I haven't seen her TED talk. Oh, you need to. I'm sure you're going to love it. Uh, and it's very thought provoking. So it's about girls and sex. So like young girls, how we educate girls about the topic of sex. And she has a quote in this TED talk that I always have in the back of my mind because it's so striking. She says, boys have erection and ejaculation. Girls have periods and unwanted pregnancies. That's how we are educated when we go through our teenage years. Mm-hmm. And that's like very uh, shocking when you realize that that's actually quite true. Yeah. We're just not taught about our own pleasure. We are taught that we have periods, so we have a reproductive system that we need to manage. Right. And that's basically it. And we're not taught that, oh, yeah, you could um, 
sex can be fun, you know, sex can be pleasurable. That's not even something that is put in our head. Yes, completely. A thousand and million percent. Um, Yeah, I really want to read her book. I've heard that it's really, really fantastic. Um, But so much of my work and free time is taken up by sex that usually when I read for pleasure, it's, um, it's something else, you know, but definitely have to add that to my list. Um, well, Cecile, this has been incredible. We have one last question for you. Um, yep. and that is where is smile makers going next, um, with toys and sexual wellness. And if there's kind of one thing you want to make sure to leave our, our listeners with, what would that be? Okay. Um, for smile makers, as I'm sure you've picked up by now, we're very focused on education, like making pleasure, positive sex education widely accessible so we've created a a full program called vulva talks it's available for free Uh, it has written and video content Uh, and that's also why we love podcasts like yours because it's so important to bring that conversation um, to as many people as we can Mm -hmm. Uh, obviously expanding our offering to bring like new stimulations and provide more options to explore our pleasure and then, I don't know, like continuing to expand our distribution so we can bring vibrators to as many vulva owners as we can. And the last thing I'd like to uh, add is that we really encourage uh, vulva owners to enjoy some erotica and like be curious about their fantasies. It's not necessarily um, an aspect, again, that we are educated on, but that's something that we're very... Uh, we're big fans of at Smile Makers uh, is to encourage our community to explore their fantasies by re- by reading, by writing them, uh, for a very simple reason is that it is about validating our desires and getting curious about our own sexuality. And it has nothing to do with products. It has nothing. You don't even have to touch yourself, but it's a way to really connect with your sexual identity. Love it. Love it so, so much. Um, This has been so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, for sharing all of, you know, the the data and the, uh, you know, those positive and amazing ideas just around positive sexuality. And really, like you said, at the end of the day, you don't even no pressure to even touch yourself. Really, it's just getting connected with your bind with your body, (laughs) mind and soul is what I was trying to say. Um, and, and yeah, just like, you know, knowing yourself a little bit better and being happier and healthier. Yeah. And not like, this is how you leave the stigma at the scale of your own person. So you are contributing to changing the world by just validating your desire, validating your sexuality, if nothing else. Our creator, co-producer, sound engineer, and host is me, Danielle Bezalel, a.k.a. DB. Our co-producer and communications lead is Catherine Cohen. Our main logo and banner graphic were created by Andrea Forgotch. Our social media intern is Leslie Lopez. Our music theme is by Hook Sounds. Our ad music is by my stepdad, Bill Gant. Thank you so much to our featured guests, partners, and our listeners. If you're interested in advertising with us, email us at sexedwithdb at gmail.com. For more sex ed content, follow us on Insta at sexedwithdbpodcast. Tune in next time.